back, guys, and welcome to another episode of Semi-Pro. Inside the Locker Room. I'm Coach Casey, and I'm here with my guest co-host, Shane Jones. Shane, welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for, you. Thanks for being on. I'm glad you could fill in. It's kind of like your uh, football career a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> I think fill in I, as needed. I think this is going to be like a running joke. Just, uh, you know, throw you in wherever we need you because you're you're just a really good fucking replacement player. <laughs> what it boils down to. <laughs> you're a scab. <laughs> you're, you're it works. You remember the replacements, the scab players? Yeah. So if you're a replacement, you're a scab. So we're here with our guest, Mr. Andrew Gorgon. How's it going, guys? Appreciate you having me out. And I want to double check. I did say your last name correctly. You got it, buddy. All right. Because I literally have probably said it both ways every single time. <laughs> I'll be like, Gorgon, Gorgon, Gorgon. But you know how I figured out how you pronounced it? It was because so, of It was because of your Slack name. Because um, you, because Gorgonite, hey. I was like, it's definitely not Gorgonite. Like that makes no sense. So it's got to be Gorgon because Gorgonite. You got it, man. Yeah, I want to talk about the first time you and I met, real quick, because it was actually also a funny story. It seems like every single first meeting with me and, and and another person is actually a funny story. But you know, for for the listeners and for Shane, this is actually a really funny story. Drew and I work together. Well, we don't work together anymore, but we still work for the same company. And when I first met him, I had just started in a brand new building. It was a building I had not previously worked in. They moved me over to an area uh, with some empty desks. And then there was like a couple of desks that were filled, uh, but nobody was there yet. uh, Because I think at the time, you and I were working different shifts or whatever. So I come in, you know, start work. I see that somebody clearly sits right next to me, but they're not here. And then um, you came in like an hour later because we were like on alternating, you know, shifts or whatever. And when I met you, you had sat down and you were like, how's it going, man? My name's Drew. <laughs> and then that's not even the funny part. Like, I love, like, doing your accent and shit. But, like, uh, the, the, funny, the funny part is not the, how's it going? My name's Drew. It's that you then, hey, if you ever need any condiments, and then you open, like, this is my first time meeting you ever. I've never, I've never talked to you before. I've never. And you're like, if you ever need any condiments, dude, I got this. And you pulled out this drawer <laughs> in your desk. And you had like uh, a thousand ketchup, mustard, mayo packets. You, hey, and, man, I don't, and, I don't know what gave it away, but I could tell you were a fellow food lover. It reminds me. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. said it all It might right. be my weight. Yeah. So, so it just it reminded me of like Caretaker or any version of Caretaker from like a prison movie. You were like the guy in prison that could get me things, you know. And this was my first meeting, and this was you telling me that you could get me things. It was, hey, if you ever need any condiments, man, I got this drawer right here, and, and uh, even if I'm not here, you can have whatever you want, and you just pulled open this drawer, <laughs> and you just had, like, ketchup, mustard, mayo, everything you could ever want was uh, in that drawer. So that's, like, right away, I knew you were cool as shit, because that was your, like, icebreaker. Your icebreaker was, if you ever need any condiments, I got all these condiments right here. <laughs> I got you, buddy. I got and, the hookup. And, not everybody's like that, man. Not everybody shares their ketchup or their or their mustard. So, you know, <laughs> like, like I knew right away that you and I were going to get along, and 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 we always have. Like we we hit it off right away, and we've been boys ever since. Uh, yes, there was a lot of uh, uh, days and nights spent at the bumper pool table there at work. Uh, we almost came to blows a few times over the the bumper pool table. There, uh, basically, where's the bumper pool table? Do you know what bumper pool is? Not really. Picture a pool table, but it's cut in half, so it's like it's half as long, and then it's wider, okay? And then in the middle of the table are all these obstacles. It's basically bumpers. 
the object is there's only two holes. There's a hole on each side of the table. The object is for you to get all five of your balls into the opposing player's hole. You have to maneuver around bumpers and use the bumpers to your, you know, to your benefit because like if somebody misses a shot, they could set it up as a defensive shot so that their ball is right in front of yours and you can't get to the hole right. unless you do an angle shot and go around them or use the bumper to knock your ball around. It's a fun game and it's something like they it, a lot of technology companies have stuff like that like in one of the other buildings we have a foosball table but in the support building they have a bumper pool table and it's kind of just always been like a tradition is I don't think there's much of that going on anymore because a lot of the bumper pool players are gone. It's starting to ramp up again. Is it really? Yeah, because yeah, I remember I remember when, when we were over there in that area, it was always hopping at the bumper pool table. And sometimes it was hard to get work done because there'd be like six, seven people at the table getting all loud. And, yeah, but um, it's it's actually it's a pretty fun game. So you only have, uh, instead of like solids or stripes and stuff, you know, it's two colors. You're either red or white. And it could be, you know, yellow or black if you're playing a different version of the game. But it's just two colors. You are one of those two colors. And you're shooting your balls into the other opponent's hole, who, by the way, that hole is also surrounded by bumpers. So you have to creatively use the table to your advantage. Guys who are really. The table version of uh, mini golf. Yeah, kind of. Guys who are really good at geometry are really good at bumper pool. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily equate to if you're a good billiards player or not because it's a completely different game. So I'm good at mini golf, so I'd like to try it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun, man. But a bumper pool table is like five, six hundred bucks. It's almost as expensive or more expensive than a regular yeah. pool table. Jeez. Um, and now we know why the the one in support such a shit box because it's like it's hanging on by a thread and it's because they're so expensive they can't replace it. Yeah, they just fix it by like uh, sticking a tissue box underneath like wherever it's like sagging or whatever, you know. So, But it's good times. So let's, let's get on topic here. The reason why we had you on the show is because, you know, we like um, telling football stories and you grew up playing football. When did you first get into football? So uh, I got in young, but I didn't ever really play officially until around middle school. That's when I started to really get a grasp for things and realized I, you know, I definitely had some some abilities and some options if I kept working on it. And and for the record, real quick, just because we were having an argument in a previous episode about this, Shane and I, when you say you got into it in middle school, were you playing middle school football? A, a team that was sponsored by your middle school, or were you playing youth football at the the highest level, like 13, 14? I never played youth football. I okay. was playing at the rec tackle football gotcha. with no pads. And so you were literally both, just playing with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, that, that's what I was doing before I started summer, bro. Sometimes that's the best kind of football, man. Like, and you know, I got hooked, man. And, just getting a bunch of bros out on the field and, and blasting each other's collarbones out and stuff. And that's how you... Josh how you, knows all about that. That's how, yeah, I know. He's <laughs> got that hinged collarbone from me breaking his collarbone. Uh, he broke his best friend's collarbone just fucking around with him. And they're, and it they're, was and, literally the softest tackle ever. And they're still friends. That's friendship. And they're, and they're still friends. We, we sized uh, each other up before I tackled him, <laughs> and we just kind of hugged and fell to the ground, and his shoulder just he literally, hung he, off his body. He literally took it easy on him and broke his collarbone. It could, if, he, if he had... That, you know what? Uh, I wish Scott were still here, because this would be a coaching lesson as to what happens when you go half speed. Yep. You know, because if he had actually hit him, but he probably would have been, probably would have been totally fine. But because they decided to fuck around and take it easy, he actually broke his collar. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. So, so you actually didn't play youth football at all. You were just playing backyard tackle football with your friends. Yeah, man. I was playing soccer, basketball, pretty much everything else. Just yeah. I never got into it. But yeah. 
got hooked then and uh, started playing in middle school. And, yeah. you know, before you know it, I was taking it very seriously when I got to, to high school. Yeah. What positions did you play in high school? I played linebacker majority of it. Yeah. Um, when I got pulled up my freshman year, they needed a cornerback. And uh, I was much bigger than any other quarterback yeah. out, quarterback yeah. out yeah. there, and it shouldn't have been out there. Yeah, you're more like an outside linebacker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I filled yeah. in for cornerback for a year and then went back to my position. So let me get this straight. You actually got called up to varsity as a freshman to play corner. Got it. Okay, and where was this? This was Atlanta Lakes High over in uh, Pasco County. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with that football program. That's interesting because I didn't get called up my freshman year to play varsity or anything, but similar to that, I was a linebacker, and they had me filling in at corner, and I was a very large linebacker. I mean, if it weren't for all this extra coding, we're basically the same build, you know? Like, like I've got the same body type as you and him. Massive frame. I was, yeah, I was like a 200-pound corner. Yeah. I was playing uh, – we ran a 4-4 defense, so I was playing outside linebacker in the 4-4 defense. And the coach was like, hey, you know, we need you to go out there and play some corner or whatever. And even I was like – are you sure about this? Like, do you see the the size of the guys that I'm going up against? Little runts or like really skinny, fast dudes? There, he was like, just bump them, you know, <laughs> just bump them. It's called bump and run. And, and as soon as I would try to like touch these fast receivers, they would like sidestep me, back. like face plant, yeah, and then just run around me. Yeah, that that experiment didn't last long. But it's funny because that happens to a lot of guys. Like either you you either grow into linebacker from DB if you're not athletic to play uh, enough to play DB or you are an athletic linebacker that often ends up getting used in like all these hybrid positions and stuff like that. So um, it's just interesting because it seems like, you know, we're, we're from a different generation. I'm like, uh, what, eight years older than you? How old are you again? I'm 27. That's right. Yeah, eight years. Even in the 90s, coaches were doing that shit, and they're still doing it now in the 2000s. Got to plug so, and play, man. Yeah. I mean, you do kind of like we were talking about earlier with Scott. You do uh, try to put your best players on the field, and sometimes that means taking a good athlete and moving him to a position he's not comfortable with. Yeah, you got to grit your teeth and move forward. Yeah, so fast forward to sophomore year then. So now you're back, and now you're basically focused on linebacker. Um, so about half the year I played linebacker. We had a we had a senior core of linebackers, and a couple of them were really good. Yeah, and went and played uh, D two and D one ball. So yeah. I had some I had some waiting to do in that you know sure. that respect, but um, played about half a year there and started to get some real recognition. You know, with decent size, decent speed, and and good you know, good tape things like that. Yeah, but I was getting good looks, and um, my junior year is when things kind of took a turn for the ugly. I pulled my hamstring three times in a matter of like four months, probably. And, you know, before you know it, I had kind of lost sight of trying to, you know, follow this up. Yeah. You know, I just figured my body was not uh, up to par. Right. Couldn't handle the, couldn't handle the workload, essentially. Right. Continued to produce, continued to do well, but never looked at it as an option to, you know, pay for schooling or to continue to go on to the next level. Right. And, you know, before you knew it, towards the end of senior year, everything everything kept up well. Our team did well. I did well. Um, so I had the stats to follow up, and everything else was in place. And my coach came to me as well as my mom. They both kind of sat me down towards the end of the, you know, end of the season, actually after the season, you know, towards the end of my school year, essentially, and were telling me to take a look at my options realistically. Like, there's a, a number of opportunities, although – I was looking at D1 and D2 options initially, and that's the mindset I was in. Mm-hmm. I, I hadn't really looked past that. And being in a hurt state for such a long time, I was, I was focused on 
just going for academics and going to school and things oh. like that. But do you I heard him out and, and decided to, you know, go to a couple little conferences where they had a bunch of teams come out. And we were able to share film and things like that. And before you know it, um, after about an hour, hour and a half, I think it was actually out in Riverview. And then, yeah, I had several offers to, to fly me out across the country to come visit their schools free of charge and take a look at their, you know, their facilities and, yeah. and their programs and yeah. see if I might be interested in joining uh, off the top of your head, do you remember how many tackles you had your senior year? Off the top of my head, not especially. Um, we had a couple really good linebackers. I had, I had two really good linebackers with me, one who just got injured and, and couldn't really proceed. The other was uh, just naturally gifted. And he was an inside linebacker, and he uh, had some issues with grades here and there. So yeah. he also kind of had a similar situation you know, to myself in which the opportunities weren't quite yeah. what they should have been. Did you have any splash plays, like interceptions, fumble recoveries, that stuff? Oh, yeah. I had, had a couple. Uh, uh, I mean, I was always picking off balls. I had, uh, I think, three picks in one game. Oh, wow. It's kind of a freak. Yeah. Wow. As a linebacker, yeah. yeah it was a, it was yeah. a freak game, um, yeah. but several recoveries. You're kind, of a, you're, you're kind of a rangy dude, though, so I, I could see that because you've got, like, a really long reach. You know, I've never participated in any athletic endeavors with you, but <laughs> endeavors, I should say. Uh, but you, uh, you, you're an athletic dude, so um, I can see that. I can see you being uh, actually more of a cover linebacker than a in-the-box type, you know, uh, backer. So this, That was probably a product of uh, getting shoved into the corner position as yeah. a freshman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you could say that it's like 210, 215 pounds at yeah. like 5 foot 10. I was not your normal Yeah, so that's – okay, so, so so basically uh, as a linebacker, you were going about uh, 210, 215? Um, when I finished up, I was like – I was around 220 okay. as a linebacker. Yeah. I, was, I was playing, yeah. you know, and that's you're about there right now, right? You can go about two twenty. Uh, well, well, right yeah, but but yeah, I mean, you're walking around. You walk around at two twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That's, so that's, that's cool. basically your natural. That honestly, that would be me too if I didn't, you know, eat two of you before you came in here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you that's me both. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it would be hard for you to get down to like two ten now because walk. I think two twenty five. Yeah, yeah, you walk around at like two 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 twenty two twenty five. Yeah. So basically, that's you filled out like. You know, two twenty. That's a big. That's a big dude. And so, it's easy to see where scouts would would want to talk to you then, because that's some size for for a high school going into college linebacker. Because they're also expecting you to probably put on five to ten pounds a year in a college program. So you'd be coming out uh, at senior year as like a two hundred thirty five or two hundred forty pound linebacker. Definitely. So you uh, you got some offers. We're talking uh, basically. These are smaller private schools at this point. Yeah, uh, no D1 offers? Um, not at that point. I I was very, very late to the game. Right. And this was ticket, you know, this was film submitted, you know, months before I graduated, essentially. Right. But several D3 and NAI schools were all a part of the conference. Yeah. And, I mean, it was it, random schools from all over that yeah. I hadn't really heard too much about. But some what year had was some uh, pretty decent programs. This was 2010. That's interesting because NAIA is not – is is just now really becoming like a household thing. Back in 2010, uh, uh, probably a lot of players didn't even know what NAIA was. But now it's becoming a legitimate platform for players because I think there's even a couple of guys uh, that if, if they didn't get drafted into the NFL, there are definitely some players in the NFL right now that played NAIA ball. Yeah, there's, um, def- there's definitely some serious athletes that make their way so through So it those. seems like NAIA has come a long way in the last uh, less than 10 years uh, making a push for, like, legit 
athletes and football players. I've seen a lot of schools, uh, advertisements from schools and NAIA and stuff because they're really making a push for, hey, we're not the NCAA. We don't have all these, you know, sanctions and rules and things like that. So it's easier to, I think it really caters to high-level athletes because then you don't have to worry about recruiting violations and, <laughs> and yeah. all this stuff. I'm sure they have their own rules, but it's nothing like the the mafioso style, you know, that the NCAA has. So. The lines are definitely blurred a little bit, yeah. but it really gives yeah. the opportunity for, say, if you don't have a D1 frame it, yeah. and you're a great athlete and yeah. you're, you're good at the game, it gives you those other avenues to continue to play, whether you want to, you know, continue to look forward in your football career or academically in a lot of cases. I know a number of people that paid for schooling or majority yeah. from, you know, got great great education off of their, their football in addition. So so one thing I noticed right off the bat from talking about this, and, and we've talked about this before, you know, knowing you and having worked with you and stuff, but at a young age you have a different mentality than a lot of guys playing the game because you recognized early on that this probably was not going to be something that you were going to be able to do full-time or – in other words, you weren't all starry-eyed and, and, and dreaming about like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the next Brian Urlacher. I'm going I'm going to the league. Like, uh, you, you you in high school pretty much knew that football was a uh, means to an end for you, and that your goal. You must have gotten good grades in high school. I'm guessing. Yeah. No, I um, well. he, he's a pretty smart guy. For some background, you, you work at a tech company. You have a tech degree. I don't even know what the hell your degree is in, but I know that I know that when when you and I first met, we were both basically doing the same thing, and it was way low level for you. It was not what you should have been doing, because you basically focused in school on like the the, the SQL stuff, like the the the, the back end, like uh, computer stuff and everything. Gotcha. So database, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, smart motherfuckers who we're who we're dealing with here. Um, so so you got good grades in high school. So right off the bat, you weren't looking at it as like if I don't go for football, I can't go for anything because so many players are just like sports centric. Whatever the sport is, they're just if I don't make it doing this then i got nothing because they're just not focusing on their grades and their schooling and shit so yeah it really needs it needs to be something that's thought about a little bit more in advance obviously d1 they they will make exceptions and they will do anything to get you in the door but lower levels it's you know you have a lot less um help in that regard you have a lot less support from it's more academic related yeah you have to have you have to give and take to a degree and you know if you're not the class a athlete and yeah. you're not the the you know the, the immediate frame that they're looking for you have to look at your other avenues and you're going to have to need you get to meet you know halfway essentially but nevertheless you're still a a, a six foot 220 pound senior coming out of uh, out of high school mm-hmm. which is plenty big for any d1 school but you got these smaller naia and private schools looking at you and you'd mentioned this, we talked about this offline, but you said you were late getting into the game, meaning you didn't get, you weren't getting any looks early and uh, you weren't really uh, putting out film or anything like that. Like a lot of coaches would prepare you for if they, you know, got to you at your sophomore year and junior year and stuff like that. So you had said uh, to me offline that you really, if it weren't for you getting a new coach and stuff. So, so talk about that a bit. Like, uh, what was that experience like? Basically, you you got a new coach and um, he recognized your talent right away. Or, yeah. So uh, we had a coach of thirty years for the majority of my time. You know, my high school. Yeah. They didn't put any time or focus on uh, trying to further any of the the you know 
the, the athletes' careers for the most part. We had some the old school guys, old school mentality. Old school, yeah. old yeah. school. And uh, yeah. that actually summed up my senior year. We got a brand new coach who uh, was actually the opposite. He was the new breed. Yeah. He was uh, he was putting his foot down and he was putting the word out for everybody. And even in my graduating class, I think we had like ten or eleven kids go play college ball like, yeah. on scholarship. And that's a lot. That's a lot of dudes from one class and to play. Is, yeah. This is most most every one of those scholarships. There was there was three or four of of the teammates of mine that were you know top of the par, but there were you know several that uh, you know wouldn't have even yeah. thought of having an yeah. avenue to continue to play. Yeah. And that's where he really had some relationships and like. Just the small conferences we had went over to and, and such. And he was really looking at it from an academic standpoint of, hey, you need to get a degree, but this is how you can get there. This is how you're going to be able to, you know, to, to get your, your scholarship or whatever. Do you remember how many people, like, went to college the year before you, like, from your the previous class? At least less than half of that. We had yeah. uh, we had a decent yeah. team. So it's it, at least it's definitely a testament to that coach then because it shows that his mentality and his his willing to work with the players mm-hmm. is what produced that number of, of college guys. Because I think when I was a senior, which again was about ten years before, eight years before you, totally different. You know, this is two thousand two. Technology isn't where it is and stuff. And but our coach was not making calls he wasn't you know none, none of that stuff it was basically we had two guys that you know were good enough and one of them went to usf and tore his acl two or three times big big dude big defensive end with like the school sack record he actually coaches locally here for east lake high school now but um he was a great football player but other than that like we only had like and we probably had maybe six or seven guys that could have but you know, no work was being put in. So it's a, to, to say that there was ten or twelve guys that that went to college from one class, that's a talented group. Yeah, no, it did. How it, many games did you guys win? Uh, that senior year, uh, I think we were ten plus. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't win conference that year, but we had won conference several years prior. So our program was good. In but definitely County. enough to get into playoff. It, we had we hadn't missed the playoffs in like fifteen years. Okay. Until uh, I think my sophomore year, maybe. Um, something like that. But we had a good program. We had good, you know, a good good uh, player base. And yeah. but in all honesty, it truly was that uh, that avenue that this coach brought in this new aspect and this new idea that there was there was many more options for a lot of us that none of us were aware of. He was forward thinking. He was forward thinking, and um, luckily he you know he he pushed it upon us. He said, "Take a look at these avenues. Like, take a look at your options. You have more than." And what you see or what you think is available to you. And that's really what, um, you know, hit home with me. And the more I talked about it with my family and stuff and started to reach out and started to put tape out and stuff, it was hook, line, and sinker after yeah. that. It, you know, there was there was plenty of hits right off the back. And right. I'd never even thought about it for the last, you know, eight Is he still coaching plus. there? No, that was uh, – he he, uh, he had some issues there. Um Nothing football related, essentially, but uh, his stint was short. And then he, uh, Those kinds of issues. <laughs> yeah, he, he went to he went and played for he, he coached Lado, so he kind of went to a okay. down and trodden yeah, yeah. you know program. And, yeah. and that's the last I'd heard of him. I, I'm not too sure where he's at these days, but he uh, he definitely painted some you know some options for a lot of us that uh, I'm sure many are still grateful. So, honestly, it sounds like he was actually a little ahead of his time because that's what you'll see a lot more of today. But again, everything today is driven by that 
technology, that almost like instant gratification of like, I can, I can see this person, you know, I can find out about them without actually having to, you know, like travel to them or whatever. So it's like he, at the time, 2010 tech, Technology and, and social media was not where it is now. No. So he was actually doing the, the legwork and stuff, whereas now coaches can kind of just put a feeler out and the rest of it takes care of itself. So They've got plenty more tools available to yeah. him, and, and he yeah. was not the norm now, and he's probably right. not the norm today. Yeah. He, he, you know, he was an yeah. anomaly in that case, yeah. but um, it, exactly Sounds that. like a good guy. Yeah, no, he, he did what he could Definitely for us. He cared about the players, that's for sure. And uh, he was – you said it first – forward thinking he, yeah. he was he was new and he was well not not new to the job not right. new to the game but right. it was a totally bringing a new philosophy yeah yeah a totally different aspect yeah so here we are you had some offers and you know kind of walk us through that like where did you go who did you look at you know throw out some cities some names and stuff. i know these are smaller schools but again this is important for people that are listening especially young kids who may be in uh high school now or fresh out of high school because if it's NAIA or private, they're all eligible. Gotcha. So it's something that, you know, they need to hear. Yeah, uh, definitely. So uh, I got offers to go visit several schools across the country. Like Minnesota had a, a pretty interesting <laughs> school, but yeah. uh, I quickly – Being from Florida probably wasn't. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Had, they had their football team or their, their practice field inside a dome, uh, yeah. like a plastic dome essentially. But uh, so I ended up negative 20 year-round. Yeah, brutal. <laughs> yeah. They had a plastic pathway to the dome from the, the school. It was nuts. That's how you know how fucking cold it is. Like, <laughs> oh, I was not ready During for football season, yeah, no. Uh, I've been no. brutal. But I ended up doing kind of a southeast circuit. Um, yeah. I went, you know, with my – I believe me and my mom drove up, up you know, up Florida and uh, stopped at a couple schools in Alabama. Um, Birmingham Southern was one of the schools I stopped by. Okay. Um, the, the, two, the two ones I really followed it down to were Birmingham – uh, Southern and then Rhodes College. Those were the two that really stood out to me the best. Um, and where was Rhodes located? Rhodes was in the heart of Memphis. Okay. So that was a highly academic school. Um, so that was it was a, it was pretty different than some of the other offers and and things of that sort. But it uh, it ended up being the place. Uh, they had a great linebacker coach and the, the players there were uh, on their game. We had a you know a couple All Americans still on the team at that point and in the the uh, linebacker core as well so i ended up uh pulling the trigger there and you know sitting down with them they ended up giving me you know forty thousand dollars a year towards yeah. towards the uh tuition and such which covered most most everything in, in essence it was basically a full ride uh football scholarship essentially with yeah. a couple thousand over top for you know living expenses yeah right essentially that and probably top hundred academic schools in the country so it was it was really a it was a, a golden ticket essentially and uh, they had the program in addition with with those players and the coaches, so it really it, it felt like a good fit. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I, I ended up just taking that opportunity and, yeah. and rolling with from there. Yeah, I know that you graduated from FSU, so kind of walk me through like how long did you basically play out you know a career there at Rhodes and then go to um, FSU from there, or like what happened? So there was uh, there were some changes after my first year, but uh, essentially I, I played my freshman year all at Memphis, and I got a little bit of playing time, but the, the playbook was very verbose. And like I said, there were a couple All-Americans that were yeah. in the core as well. So I, I had some, some sitting time to do. And we're talking defense. So if a defensive playbook is like 
reading a West Coast offense, that's pretty extreme. It, yeah, it was. <laughs> defense is usually pretty basic. Our quarterback was uh, like studying to be a doctor, and he said that our defensive playbook was more complicated than his offensive playbook. Wow. That's, that's how, wow. Yeah. That's how yeah. intense this playbook was. And I mean, I'm, I'm bright enough, but it was yeah, yeah. a lot of information. Yeah. And then you got your muscle memory. You know, there's a lot to it. There wasn't just something you could plug in there. And although I would go out there and make some awesome plays, I would get docked. He's like, you yeah, stepped wrong you didn't here. Do, yeah, I don't yeah. care if you got a sack. I so, don't care if you took them both. So was that, was that like basically run by the defensive coordinator or the head coach? The defensive coordinator was running at that point. Um, but a lot of the calls were actually being run through my linebacker court. Okay. At that point. Okay. Yeah. So I just, I kind of get the impression that the reason why the playbook was so advanced or so difficult is because they're thinking to themselves like, you guys are academics. You should be able to fucking handle this shit. <laughs> yeah, I would think that's probably the, along the lines of the, where they were. The were one thing I would say about football that's different from any other sport is that, you know, we get a lot of flack for, like, the meatheads and the dumbasses and shit that play football because they're not smart enough to do something else. But um, football can be very overwhelming from a from an academic standpoint. So when you see the ones, the guys that like make it to, you know, the elite college level and stuff, though, of course there are the ones that can't read a book uh, and, and, and get the ride anyway, because they run a four, three or four, four forty or whatever. But the, the academics and typically like the quarterbacks and especially the offensive linemen, offensive linemen tend to be the most intelligent people on the team. And, and, and to a, a similar uh, extent, middle linebackers, especially because, you guys kind of like set the defense and the center or and some of the interior linemen and offensive line will set the offense right like You're the coordinator set the, right yeah You're the quarterback yeah. Of the D, yeah so so i kind of like i just get that impression that maybe the reason why the defensive coordinator or whoever was writing that playbook was like so hard on you guys with all the verbiage and shit is because they think like oh well you know this is a top 5 academic school or whatever the hell it is like you guys should be picking this shit up and i'm sure he probably gave you a lot of shit about that too oh yeah never heard the end of it but it was you know trying to fight your your natural reactions your instincts is is very difficult after that's what you've relied on yeah. in a sense for a long time and uh really trying to hone in on that it, it takes time it, it really does so how'd you go from playing ball at it's Rhodes, right that's how you say it Rhodes. yes Rhodes college is it Rhodes college? Rhodes college yeah yeah so yeah. how'd you go from playing ball there in memphis to uh fsu so after my – well, towards the end of my season, I got a pretty bad concussion and uh, took a little bit of time off and started to reevaluate my body in a, in a sense because I had a couple, you know, strains and pulls there throughout and something that had plagued me for quite some time. And after taking a look at, you know, my past and, and where I wanted to be, I decided to kind of hang my cleats up yeah. in that regard, yeah. at, at least at the collegiate level. And this was in 2012, 2011, 2012? Yeah, this would be in the uh, spring of 2011, I believe okay. it would be. Yeah. So this was actually before the major concussion news that came out. Like, I mean, that was like, like in 2013, 2014 when all the, yeah, all the shit started making the news about the NFL and the concussions and stuff like that. In that, and it also sounds like you had junk hamstrings too. So, <laughs> so like, uh, your your hammy was failing you. The cards yeah. were against me, but yeah, yeah I, I didn't even know what a concussion was until I got yeah. it documented in college for the first yeah. time, and it was a it was it was a pretty heavy one. And uh, then I started to realize, oh shit, 
Um, right. That's happened a lot. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, that actually uh, hit me like a ton of bricks. The first time I was ever knocked out was not even in a football game. It was actually playing flag football with guys in the Air Force. And um, it was kind of like you were talking about, like, when we played yard ball when we were younger and just tackling each other and shit. Guys in the military that play flag football play it at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> so so it was a complete accident. But basically what had happened was I had laid out for a, pa- a low pass that the quarterback had thrown, and I was completely prone, like like diving. And this guy who was playing safety just ran right through my head with his shin. And it just, it hit me here in the temple and it also kinked my neck. And if you know anything about knockouts, if you pinch your carotid artery at a 45 degree angle, you instantly go out. So basically when you see guys get knocked out in boxing and MMA and stuff, if the jaw is unhinged the blood flows exactly yeah and it hits your carotid it just takes you out so it doesn't even have to necessarily be a big like head trauma it's just that neck and jawline if you if you kink your uh carotid and it's at exactly 45 degrees lights go out so so i went out cold everybody thought i was dead <laughs> and this is flag football and when i got you know what do you call it diagnosed by the doctor and he like did some tests and stuff like that he was like how long have you been playing football or whatever? And I said, well, this is flag. And he's like, yeah, but how long have you been playing tackle football? And I said, my entire life. And he's like, you, this is the first time you've ever been knocked out? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you ever remember not, like, remembering anything or whatever and stuff? And then I started thinking about high school, and I started thinking, I must have suffered, like, 20 or 30 concussions in high school without being diagnosed because there were plenty of times where we'd line up for, like, the Oklahomas or the one-on-ones or whatever the hell. And I remember this. there was this one dude in particular. His name was Brandon Young. I thought I hit hard. He hit me so hard in a drill that I swear my eyeballs were looking at the back of my skull. (laughs) (laughs) My eyes went, and I was looking at the inside of my head, and I was like, what is going on? And it actually felt like it took forever. I thought he broke my eyes. Like, I thought my eyes, like, were never going to look at the outside world again. Like, I was looking at the inside of my head. And so I know for a fact I suffered a major concussion there that just was never, uh, you know, diagnosed or whatever. And so it's interesting that you bring that up because it it also getting back to it seems like the topic of this uh, podcast here is uh, forward thinking. But it's like you had the wherewithal then to know that it was time to hang it up because one, your lower leg injuries, and that's never a good thing. Like once your legs start going, you never get over that. It's something you see plague pro athletes. Once it starts, it usually doesn't stop. And it started for you in high school, and you actually neglected it. So, and that's Shane's story yeah, too. Look at, like, look at Kevin Durant. What just happened to him? Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and that's a, that's your story too. I mean, yep. like you, you had nonstop season after season leg injuries that slowed you down and hampered you, but you kept playing Quad, through them. Quad, ham, yeah, yeah, ankles. and then and then eventually it led to you tearing your knee. So. Yep. Yep, so, but run. but for you, it was less that and more about the concussion and the head injury and stuff. I think that was really what made me stop and think about it. And, you know, having I had a similar conversation with the doctors, too, and yeah. just thinking back to all the times where, you know, you, you get you have a hard hit, whether I hit someone or someone hits me, and then you, you see stars for a bit. And right. We, at least I was. Back your eyeballs burn. Yeah. yeah. That, that was something that we were, it was kind of the norm. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a sense, at least with the linebackers that I played with, and I played with those guys for six years, and that was kind of. You know, it happens if you know if you're not if you're not really 
hurt or you're, you're not dizzy and things yeah. like that after a couple minutes you know you're back in and you're, you're rolling so it was just something that really made me stop and think um, about my brain and, and where I want to be in 15 20 years I've seen punch drunk yeah. boxers things right. like that and sometimes right. you just gotta you know make a call make a decision and, and go with it did your coach ever ask you are you hurt or are you injured <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to at this they just, you need to go out yeah. I think I recall a coach asking me that a few times. Yeah. yeah. I believe a coach for the Decepticons. I, I, believe I forgot his name. Yeah, I believe you're talking about me. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference between being hurt and injured. If, sure you're, if, if, if you're hurt, then you can shake it off and get back out there. If you're injured, you can't play. So, yeah. You know? I used to ask that all the time. Are you because coach, I'm hurt. You know, are you hurt or are you injured? <laughs> I got that from uh, James Kahn in the program. Are you hurt or are you injured? That's the um, truth. So you hung up your cleats and then you basically transferred to FSU. I did. I uh, which seems like a pretty, um, no pun intended, academic move, right? Because like you, you obviously had the grades to go wherever you wanted. You could have gone to any D one school you wanted just for the education, aside from the sports, yep. the athletics. Sure. So you go to FSU and. Let's be honest. People at FSU aren't getting, aren't pulling the grades that you were pulling <laughs> in in Memphis. A little, so. uh, little bit different environment yeah, yeah. and uh, party school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was a good time. I've seen your Facebook pics. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little starry out there too. No, no concussions yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little that's a little different something than uh, than getting your head knocked around. Basically, what that means is that you gave up your scholarship. I did. I decided that uh, wasn't really in the books for me. You know, wasn't yeah. wasn't in the cards anymore, yeah. and uh, not not worth it for me personally with what I'd gone through and kind of the you know what I had left to yeah. give to the sport at yeah. least. Yeah, man, that's deep, dude. Because like I can't I, I can't remember a single time in my high school and then beyond career football where I thought like I need to hang it up. I played until the wheels fell off and. I regret that because I shouldn't have done that. Like, that's just fucking stupid, especially if you're not in the NFL. If you're not getting paid mm-hmm. and paid enough to take care of yourself to play the game, then, yeah, you if definitely. I, if I didn't hang it up when I first contemplated it, I'd probably still have an ACL. Right. <laughs> that's true. Because you, you were actually. We've been talking about it for a couple of years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, was, was kind of odd. I, you know, growing up, there were a few people like, um, I, was that guy's name in Varsity Blues, the big guy with the concussions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, Billy Bob. Billy Bob. So we or, had some, or Reggie Ray and not another teen movie, yeah, same guy. <laughs> we had some Reggie Rays and Billy yeah. Bobs, and, and legitimately, like, if they got hit again, the yeah. doctor's like, you might not wake up yeah. type of situation. Yeah. So after I got that serious one, I was behind the, you know, I, I was taking tests for over a week, and yeah. I was behind the lines uh, on these tests, and it, yeah. that's what really, you know, made me think about the situation, but... You know, to each their own. Everybody's yeah. different. Um, linebackers, uh, a little bit of a head rattling yeah. job. And it is. Sense. Yeah, because you. Yeah, I mean, there's no even with proper tackling. If you're taking on a 200 plus pound running back in the hole, and that's just the that's just your job. That's taking out of it all the other things that people don't factor in, like you taking on a block from a 280 to 320 pound guard. Yep. You know, you uh, get in the, the mid, right? Exactly. You got to you got to shed a guard or a center who is twice your size, and you're doing all of this inside of a box that is uh, ten feet long, 
by about five or ten feet wide. So yeah, it's it's a uh, recipe for serious collisions, high speed collisions. No hiding in there, right? Yeah, you gotta meet it face up. Then there's like that's why I think so many of us respect the shit out of linebackers, though, man. Like it's like it is the like linemen work in the trenches, and obviously, you know, you gotta have you can't play the game on either side of the ball unless you have linemen helping you out, right? Uh, they they set the tone for everybody else, but man, linebackers, dude, they they work within that box, and there's just, you just you said it. I mean, like you you captured it perfectly. Like there is no escaping that that destiny in that box. Like, and if you do, you're not a linebacker. Like if you if you step out and you you do the Olay tackle where you kind of like pivot and try to arm tackle them and stuff, you you're know, done, that's not man. a linebacker. Yeah, you're yeah, done. you know, you don't play ball that way, but. Uh, what I was getting at is that there's no safe way to, to, to really make a, a tackle in, in the box. Um, even with good form, you're, this is what they've discovered anyway with impact testing and stuff on the head. Gotcha. Even when you're practicing perfect form and you're not using your head, you get it to the side, it's all chest like a rugby-style tackle. If you're hitting somebody who's running full speed in the opposite direction, it still jars your head on top of your body, you know? Um, and it's that whole like centrip. I don't know if I'm using the right one because there's centrifugal and centripetal force, but it's the one where um, while your body may not be in motion, my neck and head, your are still brain moving. could be moving around inside your skull because of the impact that you took. So you're an intelligent motherfucker, basically, is what we're saying here. You <laughs> stepped away at the right time. Yeah, I felt I felt a few brain cells leaving, so I, I thought it was time <laughs> to uh, take what I had left and. Try and try and make a living with it yeah. in a different uh, different direction. Yeah, and now you're doing that now because, like as we said, you uh, you basically you work in tech, and specifically you deal with a lot of like back end computer server stuff. Sure. And that was very it's high level. Out. That was very high level because most people in our <laughs> listening to this are not going to want to know the the, the deets <laughs> of you know what it is that you do and stuff. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I can respect that. I can respect the fact that you walked away when you did knowing that you gave everything you had to give so that you could maintain your <laughs> your noggin yeah. and, and finish what you knew from the jump was your ultimate goal, which was to get your degree and to, and to go to work. So, yeah, and I, I don't regret the decision at all. I, I, awesome. I took the opportunity yeah. and, you know, it didn't work out for me. I'm one story. But having that opportunity and being able to connect the dots to 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 get that person in the place or to get that player to a, a specific school that's a right fit for them, it's you know there's there's no sense in not taking advantage of the opportunities that are available and that's and that's what I'm glad I did. But uh, you know my story ended a little bit differently. Yeah. But there's you know there's thousands of other people who have very different stories to tell. So you would definitely recommend NAIA or the private route to anybody who's trying to play at the next level from high school? If I guess it really would depend on what what you're looking to do. Yeah. If you're, you know, academically focused and you want to continue to play. Yeah. I mean you're you're literally paying for your education. And right. in my case, this school was top notch. It really was. All the, the people that did stay, the players that I was playing with. They got out of there with a four-year degree and were making, you know, 100K yeah. out the door. Yeah. That, that type of school. So yeah, yeah. having avenues to get to places like that, I, I never would have heard of that school. I would have never had any opportunities similar or anything of the sort. Yeah, and it was a, it was a blessing to, to see that all those opportunities available to me. And after, you know, only a short period of time, you know, towards the end of my, you know, high school career that I 
even considered it and still had all those opportunities. So it really just goes to show when you when you have those avenues. In my case, it was a coach that had come in late in the game and had kind of sparked some interest in me to, to you know kind of look through these avenues. Um, but you know that's things have changed immensely since then. There's a bunch of other tools that we can use to yeah. kind of connect those dots. But just having that option and knowing that's available to you and having that you know that ability to communicate and, and to to actually take advantage of it. That's awesome, man. I, uh, I, it, there people need to hear more stories like this. And and also, while I'm all for people going to play football because they want to play football, uh, college, NFL, whatever it is. But coming from where I come from, where I did so through uh, other avenues, you know, like I, I, I was you without the brains. You know, I joined the Air Force, and then out of that, because I got in the best shape of my life, I was afforded opportunities playing semi-pro ball, then I got recruited from there to D2 school. Gotcha. This was different rules. This was before the, you know, the major changes with the NCAA and stuff because now you can't, you can't do – there's an eligibility thing. Yeah, right. And the, right, exactly, and the clock starts now with the, um, the NCAA clearinghouse or whatever. The clock starts ticking the day after your 19th birthday. So there's no more – there's never going to be, like, those 39-year-old freshmen or whatever. You remember, like, back in the 2000s when we'd see those guys, like, suiting yeah. up on Sports Center and shit like that? Like and that's yeah, and that's there. Yeah, and that's because they, they were offered scholarships, and then they, they went and did something else or whatever and came back. Most of them ended up either being, like, pro baseball players. Is there an NFL back. player right now that went to college, like, in his late 20s? Was it Brian Hoyer or something? It wasn't Hoyer, um, so there was, was Brandon Whedon. Whedon, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Brandon so Whedon. he played pro baseball, and then he came back because he never actually got up to the. So they must have changed that rule right, right around that yeah. time, probably. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The rule changed, uh, like literally right when. I right think when I he was, graduated at thirty-two. I think right, yeah. <laughs> the, it was right around the time that we started forming the team. It might have been 2014, 2015, something like that. Okay. Because I remember thinking to myself, like, oh well, there goes my selling point of like, <laughs> hey, this is going to be another opportunity for you to make it to college. Because then they pulled the plug on the eligibility. It, before it was, you had to have if you played two years of semi-pro, you lost two years of college. And then you had to sit out a year, and then there's all, all, always those big schools that don't accept senior transfers and shit like that. Gotcha. But then they made it so that they took that rule away, and it's basically just once you turn 19, you start burning eligibility. So, gotcha. so yeah, I mean, for guys that are like 24, 25, the only opportunity they would have now at this point to play college would be the private or NAIA route. So I respect that you went in knowing that I want – I'm an academic. I want to. I want to get a degree. I want to finish this education and shit. And you played football because it was the opportunity that you had to, you know, to pay for your education. The path so, to get there. Yeah, yeah. So me. that's awesome. I, I, I want. I want guys to really listen to that and hear that because um, at the end of the day, you can only play football for so many years anyway. Every all of us have a ticking, you know, clock. There, none of us can beat time. Time's undefeated knowing that you had the head on your shoulders even before the like i knew you were mature and it's funny too because you're also immature in like all the funniest ways you know um uh but like yeah but 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 like i i knew you were mature but then like actually hearing the story uh it's it's pretty incredible that even as a high schooler you were able to like you know, see that because a lot of times just guys get drunk in high school with the the whole idea of, oh, I'm going to be a superstar and all this stuff and everything. And I mean, it sounds like you actually had the chops and based on what you're saying, 
you definitely had the size to, to, to play major D1 football. I mean, there's linebackers playing D1. They're smaller than you now. That you made the choices you made, mapping out your your future and stuff like that. That was really smart, man. And I, I hope that I hope that listeners learn from that and know that there's life after football, and you need to prepare for that. So very much so. Just one foot in front of the other. Take yeah. the, take advantage of the opportunities that are available to you, and you just really have to put put your feelers out there and use the tools that you can find. And the coaches, in my case, but uh, there's many different avenues to get there. But use what you got. Well, that's awesome, Drew. Man, I, listen, I uh, I appreciate having you on the show. Uh, anytime you want to come on back, uh, we can definitely do what we were doing earlier. If you want, we can like do film breakdown. You know, anything like uh, you ever want to just uh, shoot the shit. You know, come on back. I'm gonna go ahead and, and take us out for uh, Drew Gorgon and Shane Jones. I'm Coach Casey. Appreciate you having me from Semi Pro Inside the Locker Room.